Mark chapter number 8 tonight. Seriously though, I am glad to be here. Uh, I'm gladder than I'm gladder to be here than you are for me to be here. I promise you that. And I love this church so much. And I've missed you so bad. We usually get to see each other throughout the year. Jubilee and then youth camp. And uh, man, this year has been, uh, it's been something, hasn't it? We'll just leave it at that. And uh, man, what a year it has been. Um, and for our church, and I know for your church as well, seriously, I want you to know that we're praying for you guys. And our church has been praying, and I know you've been praying for us. And uh, our church, it's been a year of loss for our church. And, uh, and it's been hard. It's been really, really hard. And uh, we, we've lost, not just, we, we, not just to the virus, maybe we, one, we've had one pass away. At least, at least one, one brother Barry Lawson, one of our dear beloved deacons, passed away in February. It could have been, you know, the virus. It may not have been. I don't know. It was before all this started happening. Some similarities to it, but at least one, and uh, just like back to back to back, some cancer and a stomach injury, just some pillars in our church. And we sent some missionaries out to the field. I know that's not a loss per se, but it's people that used to sit on our pews and be faithful, and we miss them. We're glad they're in the will of God serving the Lord, and we gladly send them out. But it's just been a tough year in a lot of ways. But I tell you what, God is always good. And God is always right in everything that He does. And I'm going to tell you what, it's not just been a year of great loss, but it's been a year of, of great gain where God has taught us many lessons and God has worked on us and, and I feel like we'll never, ever be the same uh, after, after this year. And wouldn't it be a shame to you know, talk about we want to get back to normal? Man, I hope we don't ever get back to normal. You know, if normal is lackadaisical, apathetic, uh, distant from God, I don't want to get back to normal. Amen. I, I, want, to, I want God to do a work of revival, renewal, and uh, we can get closer to God than we ever have been. And this can be, one. you know, if... If, if, if the goal of life is to depend on God and to lean on God and to trust God and abandon ourselves and abandon our flesh, if that's the goal, then this year might be the best year that we've ever had because it might move us towards that goal just a little bit closer. And uh, we've got to learn to thank God for it. And I want to bring you a message tonight that really this is something the Lord gave me years ago. And just recently, I, I didn't, honestly, I preached these things by faith. I feel like I've lived some of these things uh, here recently. In fact, I brought it back up and preached it to our church uh, just a couple weeks ago, and it's on my heart. You know, I don't know if you know, some of you preachers know what I'm talking about. There's some messages that you preach, uh, and, and they're for the moment, they're for right then, and then you may put them away and never, never think of them again. And then there's some messages, they're more than a message. It's something that God does in your heart, and it stays in your heart forever, and, and you think of it often, and this is one of those things. And so I'm really just going to preach to you in my heart tonight, and I hope that, uh, that it's a blessing to you. And uh, before we go to the house, Mark chapter number 8, verse number 31 Mark chapter 8, verse number 31. These are familiar uh, verses, and, uh, and I, I, believe it, I believe it'll help us tonight as we examine them once again. Mark eight thirty one. The Bible says, And he began, that's Jesus now, Jesus is the he, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be 
of men. And I want to preach on this thought tonight with the Lord being our helper. I want to ask this question, and I want you to examine your own heart tonight as we ask this question. Why do we struggle with God's plans? Why do we struggle with God's plans? Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight, and we're thankful for the opportunity to meet together uh, on this uh, midweek night. And Lord, it's just like a, like an oasis in the middle of a, of a, of a hard week, middle of, a, of tough days. And we're able to meet together and come together. And we're able to worship you together and hear your word preached to, get, uh, uh, to us together. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us not touch me, God, tonight. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray that you'd use me for your glory. Lord, help me to help somebody. Lord, make me a blessing tonight. And uh, Lord, I pray that as a result of this message and examining this text, Lord, that we would be more like you and we would love you more and trust you more than we ever have. And Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, you know, I think we can all relate very well to Peter. Peter seems, Simon Peter seems like one that we re- relate very well together uh, 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 to because of how uh, he's kind of up and he's kind of down. It's just a few verses early in verse number 29 where Peter makes one of the most powerful declarations about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'll find in your Bible. Peter, uh, Jesus asked him, said, Whom do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. And in another gospel, it says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter makes one of the greatest declarations about Jesus Christ. He affirms his faith. He affirms the, 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 uh, the Lordship of Christ. He affirms the ministry of Christ. He re- affirms the deity of Christ and all these things. And he's doing that. And then it's just a few verses later that Peter is rebuking Jesus and questioning the things that Jesus is saying. Can you not identify with that? I know I can. I mean, it seems like we have moments on, we're on the mountaintop and we're have, we have moments where we're in the valley. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about something I said, and I meant this with all my heart at the, at the end of last year and the beginning of this year. Man, I was just in a, a spiritual high. I don't know what was going on, but man, the Lord was just helping me and things were going good. And I said that, I said, I made a mistake and said it out loud. I said something to the church about it. I said, you know what? I mean, I'm on the mountaintop right now. And then all of this stuff started crashing around. Right? And I've had several people in the church remind me, said, remember preacher, you said you were on the mountaintop, you know? what happened and i just say shut up you know just be quiet leave me alone but isn't it, aren't we that way i mean we're on the mountaintop one day we're on the valley one day you know if you go in the hospital and you see somebody hooked up one of the monitors you'll see that heart it's going up and it's going down and it's going up and it's going down you know what that means that means they're breathing that means they're living that means there's life and that is life isn't it it's up and it's down and it's up and it's down and sometimes we have good moments and sometimes we have not so good moments and that's we can all identify with peter in that aspect of uh, how he is making great declarations and then he's rebuking uh, Jesus Jesus and he's making foolish remarks about about the gospel plan and and this is us we're up and we're down we're wise and we're foolish we're spiritual and we're carnal and and this is just how we live. Romans 7, Paul talked about the Christian life and how, and, and Paul said, the, 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 the good that I want to do, I don't always do. And the things I know I ought not to do, sometimes that's what I do. And he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall be able to deliver me from this body of death? Can anybody identify with that? If you're saved and you're living in your flesh, you ought to be able to identify with that. No doubt about it. 
want you to notice a couple of things just by way of introduction before we get right into the message tonight. Notice a couple of things in this text. The first thing I see is the plan, and that's in verse number 31. The Bible says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This is a pivotal moment in the ministry of Christ. The Bible says that He began... To teach them. He began to teach them. Now, Jesus has been teaching, and no doubt about it, you can read in the Matthew's Gospel. He, he sat on the hillside and, and the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and all these things. This isn't the beginning of His teaching ministry, but He begins to teach what we would call the Gospel plan. That He's going to go to Calvary, uh, and He is going to be buried, and He's going to rise again. And He begins to give it. He's going to be formally rejected of the Jews, and and and, 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 and this plan of Calvary, becomes the lesson that these disciples need to learn. Now, make no mistake, Calvary has always been plan A. The cross was always plan A. He's that lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Hey, man, I'm glad nothing ever occurs to God. I'm glad nothing surprises God. God's never gone to the drawing board and said, I don't know what we're going to do now. These bunch of humans done messed up my plan. I don't understand it all, but I believe it that God has plan A, and He's always on plan A, and He'll always always be on plan A and nothing takes God by surprise. But he, but but things take us by surprise. Sometimes it seems from our perspective that God, you're changing the plan. Lord, this isn't what, this isn't what we signed up for. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. Well, that's exactly where these disciples are. That's exactly, they're thinking about thrones and they're thinking about kingdoms and they're thinking about, you know, political a uh, 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 victory and they're thinking that Jesus is going to come and he's going to uh, remove Caesar from the throne and he's going to take over and everything's going to uh, going to be good and gonna, but how many of you know that's the second coming of Christ that's not what was going to take place the first coming of Christ he come as a savior to die not as a sovereign to reign but now and make no mistake he's coming as a sovereign to reign somebody say amen right there thank God for it Lord haste the day but this is the plan this is the plan. And by the way, I'm thankful for the plan. If it wasn't for this plan right here, none of us would be saved. Amen. I'm glad Jesus went to Calvary. I'm glad He knows what we need even when we don't understand the plan. We see the plan. That's in verse number 31. But then I want to show you the plot. There's a plot. Because look who shows up in verse number 33. Jesus says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan. Can I say this, that any time God has a plan, the devil always has a plot. He hates God's plans. And he always has and always will attempt to sabotage them at every level. Satan has always been that way. He's always tried to hinder the plan of God. It's always been that way. I mean, just read Genesis chapter number 3. Here comes the serpent slithering in the garden. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to mess up the plan of God. And then uh, God curses Satan and, 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 and makes that promise about the seed of the woman. And so what does Satan try to do then? He tries to corrupt the seed of the woman. And then God reveals more of His plan in Genesis 12 when He calls Abraham and He calls him, makes him a great nation. And He says the Messiah is going to come from the nation of Israel. Well, what does Satan do? He turns all of his attention on Israel. Why? Because the devil is always trying to mess up God's plan. But I got good news for you tonight. It doesn't matter how much the devil tries. It does not matter how much he, uh, how much he fights and how much he uh, uh, plots and sabotages. The devil has never, ever, 
ever been able to mess up the plan of God. That plan that God gave in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter number 3 about that seed of the woman coming to bruise the head of the serpent. And listen, the devil has tried to stop that at every level that you look at in the Bible. All the Old Testament, the devil has tried to stop that. But I'm glad to tell you the Bible says in Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. When the time was right, God's Son came into this world. There wasn't nothing the devil could do about it. But he sure does try. And as soon as Jesus started talking about Calvary's plan, no surprise here, guess who shows up? The devil. Get thee behind me, Satan. It's Peter. What do we see here? Not only a plan, not only a plot, but then I see the pawn. See, Peter's the pawn that Satan is using. The most common method Satan will use to try to sabotage God's plan. Because here's the thing. Satan can't sabotage God's plan. God's too powerful. God's too uh, in control. There's been several testimonies kind of confirm what I was supposed to preach tonight. So these testimonies are not about God being in control. I like that, don't you? Satan can't sabotage God's plan. He's tried, but he can't do it. But I'll tell you what he can mess with. He can mess with God's people. He cannot change God's plan, but he can sure try to influence, distract, discourage God's people. And he will try to turn you on God. He will try to turn your affection and turn your devotion and turn your trust from God. That's exactly what that devil did, tried to do in the book of Job. And of course, God was in control of all these things. But God, the devil could only do what God allowed him to do. But what Satan was trying to do was try to take Job and turn him on God and said, if God was good, this wouldn't be the plan. If God was good, he would not allow these things to take place in your life. But can I tell you what, friend? Listen, uh, uh, the devil, my friend, uh, can try to get us upset and bitter with what God is doing in our life, but He cannot stop God's plan, but He can try to he can try to use us as a pawn. He influence us. Peter didn't like this plan. Jesus gave the plan. Peter said, I don't like the plan. In fact, it was the exact opposite of what Peter thought the plan ought to be. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? What about when God allows things in your life? He said, Lord, I didn't sign up for this. It's what I was thinking. Can I tell you, I, I, I was so excited about coming into 2020. And I mean, I'll I tell you what I did. I, I bought a big, I've never done this before, but I bought a big old calendar. Had the whole year. January to December. <laughs> but I said Genesis to Revelation. Feels like we might be in Revelation before we get to December. <laughs> I forgot my months here. January to December. And I bought it. You can see the whole thing at one time. And I stuck it on a wall, dry erase board. And, uh, and it's like a dry erase thing. And I mean, I had that thing all mapped out and all planned out. And I'm preaching this revival here, and I'm excited about this here. And we got youth camp here, and we got Jubilee here, and we're going to have this missions day here. We're going to have this revival here. And I planned the whole thing out. This was going to be great. And that was my plan. You know what I've done? All that dry erase. I took my tears and I began to lie. <laughs> I began to wipe off all that, all that marker. I used it as target practice. I hate that calendar now. 
People in church say, what are we going to do? Leave me alone. I don't know what we're going to do. All right? I don't know. Every time I, and then I thought we were over this stuff and I thought things were getting better and I started making more plans and it didn't work out either. Tired of making plans. But God, Satan will try to turn us when things don't go like we think it ought to go. You know, I never really realized how much I boast in my plans. I never really realized how much I, how much I, I think I have control over things when really I don't have control over anything. I know we got a free will. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not negating that at all. But you know what I'm talking about. God is sovereign. He's in control. And I tell you what, we ought to use our free will to do. We ought to use our free will tonight to trust Him, to love Him, and to worship Him, no matter what. I love this psalm. God gave me this verse in Psalm 115. It's verse number three. It says, "But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased." I think that'd be a good verse for 2020, wouldn't it? Our God is in the heavens. He's still on the throne. And he have done whatsoever he please. You say, what's going to happen next Tuesday night? I don't know what's going to happen, but I know God does. And I know God's still on the throne. No matter what may happen next week, it does not matter. God is in the heavens. He have done whatsoever he hath pleased. But how many times have we been like Peter where we get angry, we get bitter, we get doubtful, we get disrespectful? We even borderline on blasphemy when it comes to questioning what God does. Why do we struggle when God says, here's my plan, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm going to do? Why do we wrestle against those things sometimes? Man, I found myself wrestling a lot lately. I told you we've had several people in our church pass away, not necessarily from the virus, but other things. And Man, I've wrestled against it. The idea of having to cancel things and postpone things and say, I don't know, and all these things. Man, I've wrestled with so many things. Say what's better than wrestling is just resting. Knowing that God's always right and He's always good. Can I tell you why? And it's right here in the text. I'm going to show it to you and I'm going to be done. Why do we struggle with God's plans? Let me give you three things and then I'm going to sit down. Number one, there's some desires in our heart. There's desires in our heart that, that cause us to struggle with God's plan. Number one, the first desire is a desire for comprehension. A desire for comprehension. When Jesus said, here's the plan, Peter, here's the plan. I'm going to Calvary. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be spit on. I'm going to be ridiculed. They're going to kill me. They're going to bury me. But in three days, don't worry, I'm going to rise up again. When Jesus gave that plan, you know why Peter did not like that plan? Because he didn't understand the plan. Why do you have to die? Why do you have to be rejected? Why do you have to be buried? What about rising three days? What does this even mean? You know why Peter did not like the plan? Because he could not understand the plan. Now, it wasn't that he could not understand the things that were coming out of Jesus' mouth. Because verse 32 says, And he spake that saying openly. That word openly just simply means bluntness. It means plainness. Peter understood the words that were coming out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could under... But... He could understand what Jesus was saying, but he could not understand the reason why Jesus would say these things. He could not understand the purpose behind 
uh, why Jesus said, what, what do you mean you got to die? Why do you have to die? That doesn't even make sense. I thought we were, you know, going for the throne. I thought, you know, the kingdom. I thought, I thought it's, you know, uh, who's going to sit on the right hand? Who's going to sit on the left hand? Who, uh, what are you talking about? They're going to, you know, elevate Israel back. We're not going to be under Roman government, Roman rule, and Roman jurisdiction anymore. What do you mean you're going to die? I don't understand the reason. And Peter did not like the plan because he could not understand the plan. We all struggle with that desire, the desire to know. The desire, we feel like we have to have full comprehension. We have to know every why. We have to know every detail. We have to know every turn. Every time something changes, we've got to, why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why have it, has, it ever, has it ever maybe crossed your mind that maybe you might go through life and, and never know why things happen the way they do? There's a lot of preaching going on right now. I'll tell you why this is happening. I'll tell you why 2020 is like this. I'll tell you why pandemic and all. Like, you, you don't know why. You have no idea. I don't know why. You don't know why. But here's the good news. And here's, here's how you can rest. Here's what's re- relaxing and releasing is this. I don't have to know why. I have. I, there's no obligation. I do not have to know why everything happens the way that it does. You know why? Because I know the person who does know why. And I know he's good. I don't know about what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know who's holding tomorrow. And listen, that is all that matters. But we all struggle with that desire. Every time something changes, we got to know what's going on. And when we don't have a full comprehension and we can't comprehend everything, we start getting real nervous real quick. It's like my kids in the car. I have four children. Most of you have probably seen them and met them. I'm fixing to have a teenager next month. Y'all pray for me. I was very, very certain that Jesus was coming back before I had a teenager. It's not looking good. I was very, very certain about that. And she'll be my boy turns 11 next week or so, and at the end of the month, end of November, my daughter turns 13, and I got the twins. They're eight years old, and. And, and when we're riding down the road uh, in, in the car, this happened just the other day, we're riding down the road and sometimes I get distracted or, or, or I'm not paying attention or whatever and I'll miss my turn or something like that or, uh, or realize I'm not going the right. Anyway, I'll make a, make a U-turn. I'll just turn around. And the kids, you know, they're not hardly paying attention, but they all of a sudden, they feel this sharp turn. The vehicle just turns around. We're whipping it around and immediately every single time without fail, they're always, they, they, they always, if they're watching a video or something, they'll rip their headphones off or they'll perk up and pay attention and say, where are we going? What's going on? Where, what, what's happening? They always want to know what's happening and i don't know why it shouldn't be this way y'all pray for me please pray for me but it gets on my nerves when they ask that because usually when i miss a turn i'm upset and i'm turning around and i'm not happy about turning around and then the last thing i need is four little kids in the back seat that's never drove a car a day in their life questioning me and it makes me mad pray for me please now, I don't always say this, but sometimes I'll say something like this. Shut up! I don't always say that. There was one time I didn't. And I used to try to give them a lesson, something like this. Like, it doesn't matter. You don't need to know where we're going. Just get, listen. I'm the daddy. I'm driving the car. I decide where we're going. You just get in the car. You got to go. Listen, you got to go wherever I tell you to go anyway. Just sit down and be quiet and trust me that I'm going to get you where you need to go. You don't have to understand everything. And I probably shouldn't be like that, but 
I get upset with them sometimes, and then God smites my heart and says, well, why do you get upset with me? Why do I get bitter at God when, when it seems like, and by the way, God doesn't miss a turn. He doesn't make a mistake, so don't think that the analogy kind of breaks down right there, but sometimes life feels like, and we're going the other way now. And I want to say, whoa, 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 God, what we do? I like the way that we were going. That was a good way. Let's go that way. Why can't we go? <laughs> and I don't know how God talks to you. <laughs> Sometimes God has to tell me, just be quiet. You say, I don't know if he talked like that. Well, he did to Habakkuk. Have you ever read the little prophet Habakkuk? Habakkuk calls out to God and says, God, why, why are you allowing this evil to go on in our land? I don't understand, is what Habakkuk says. God says, well, not that I have to answer you, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, and, they'll, and they're going to judge you. And finally, after God answers Habakkuk, Habakkuk comes back and says, well, I don't like that answer. Why would you raise up the Chaldeans? They're more wicked than we are. That doesn't make any sense. And after God puts Habakkuk in his place, tells him about all these things, you can read it, chapter 2. I think it's the end of chapter number 2. God ends that, that discourse with Habakkuk and he says this. He said, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You know what God told Habakkuk? God said, I'm on the throne. Shut your mouth. I'll do what I want to do however I want to do it. If God wants to turn this thing around, listen, this country doesn't have to survive. You know that, right? God doesn't get up every morning and pledge allegiance to the American flag. You know that, right? That, no, listen, we don't have to listen. We might be under, we might be an underground church before this thing's over with by next year. I have no, I have no idea. Listen, God, God can turn this thing any way that He wants to turn this thing. I don't have to understand all of it all the time. It's not how God operates. He doesn't tell you everything. He says, "Trust me." It's called faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith. And by the way, we're not following a plan anyway. We're following a person. His name's Jesus, and that's who we're following. We're following Him. Listen, when you got saved, you didn't sign up for a plan. You didn't say, Lord, I'll trust you as long as you'll do this, 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 and this. That ain't how this thing works. We don't sign up for a plan. It's not like picking out some kind of insurance plan, you know. It's not. It's nothing like that. It's not picking out uh, some kind of, you know, vacation spot or anything like that. We surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we say, Lord, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go, whatever you say the plan is, I'm going to follow you, and no matter what it is. That's what surrender is. Sometimes you'll hear a preacher say this, and I'm not being too critical. I think I know what they mean, but I just want to make a little clarification. Sometimes you'll hear people say this, well, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, it depends on what you mean by the word wonderful. If you mean by the word wonderful, no problems, everything's wonderful, or, you know, honky-dory, and you got a lot of money, and you're living in a mansion, and you're driving a BMW. If that's what you mean by wonderful, then listen, look up here. God doesn't have a wonderful plan for your life. He may not ever have a wonderful plan for your life. But if you, what you mean by wonderful is the fact that it's wonderful because of who gives it, because Jesus is wonderful, and everything He does is good, and everything He does is right, then sure, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Because listen to this, God's plan for your life might be cancer. God's plan for your life might be disease. 
loss, burying a loved one. God's plan for your life might be a valley, a storm. You ain't going to hear Joel Osteen preach on that. But it's true. You know how Peter died? History tells us he was crucified like Jesus, but not like Jesus. They turned him upside down. I wonder if we could look at Peter while he's dying on that cross upside down and look at him and say, Hey, Peter, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. God's plan for Peter was to be crucified upside down. All the disciples, most of them, had a martyr's death. That might be God's plan for our life. We might be burned at the stake before this thing's over with. We might have our heads chopped off. We might be put in prison. We've been reading Pilgrim's Progress with the kids in our Bible class at our little Christian school I've been doing. I've been reading Pilgrim's Progress with them. We've been going over. John Bunyan wrote that in 1500. He wrote it from the Bedford Jail. Put in jail. Twelve years sat in jail because he just wouldn't take a license to preach. How about that? That might be God's will for your life. I'm just telling you, listen, listen, God may not have a wonderful plan for your life, but listen, God has a wonderful person for your life. His name is Jesus. And we follow Him by faith even when we can't understand Him. I tell you, we have a desire for comprehension. I'm just going to give you these last ones because that probably was where the message is tonight. But why do we struggle with God's plan? Because we have a desire for comprehension. Number two, we have a desire for control. How many of you know we like to control things? We want to, and when we feel like we're not in control, we start panicking. We start. We per, let me just show you this. I'm gonna move on real quick, but let me show you what Peter did. This is this scares me to death. Verse number thirty-two. Here's what Peter did. Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Whoa! Hold on. Hit the pause button just for a second. Peter took him. Who's the him? That's Jesus. So Jesus just gives a plan. He says, now listen, here's the plan. I'm going to go to Calvary. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to raise again. And, and, and Peter, here, come here, buddy, bro. Come here. Up here. Yeah. Yeah. Here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. You just gave the plan. We're all sitting around here. We'll let these guys be the disciples over here. All right, Jesus, he gives the plan to everybody. I'm Peter. I'm sitting over here. And I'm just like, no, I don't like that plan. Peter takes Jesus. That's what the word, you know what the word took means? It means to, to, to grab and to lead aside, to pull aside. Can you imagine this scene now? I'm talking about the Son of God. Peter takes him over here and then begins to what? What does your Bible say? Rebuke him. You know what rebuke means? To correct, to chastise, to forbid. Peter looks at Jesus and says, no, that ain't the plan. That's a bad plan. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of giving me... I'm just getting a little nervous right there. Because I'm just thinking about growing up. I'm thinking about my dad, if he were to come to me and my sister and say, all right, here's the plan for today. You're going to clean your room, and then you're going to go outside, and you're going to pull these weeds, and then you're going you know, to do all this. If I were to you know, take my dad by the arm and say, come here, Dad. That's not the plan. That's a horrible plan. I can just imagine... I don't know how many days I'd spend in the hospital... And when I woke up, I don't even know if I'd even remember that whole scenario right there. Here's the thing. He's either Lord or he's not. He's not, listen, they're not, they're not taking applications for the fourth place in the Trinity. You understand that, right? He's either in control or he's not. He's either God or he's not. You can't both be in control. But don't we have that desire for control? 
We all want to be. We, we want to be. We want to be in control. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Jesus calls Peter Satan. Can I, let me just say this, and I got. I'm moving on. Any attempt to take authority and control from the Lord and give it to yourself, you know what that is? That's satanic. Isn't that exactly what Lucifer did? It's Luciferian, is what it is. To try to exalt yourself, exalt your throne above Christ. Satanic. In fact, here's what Samuel told Saul when he disobeyed and thought he was in control. Samuel said, Saul, rebellion is as the sin of what? It's witchcraft. It's satanic. It's, it, it, it smells like Satan when you try to take control. That's why Jesus looked at Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You know what? When, when Jesus heard Peter acting, uh, talking like that, and when Jesus saw Peter acting like that, you know what Jesus said? He said, I can smell him. He's here. I know that smell. He's around here. That's rebellion. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Let me give you this last one. I'm done. Why do we struggle with God's plan? Well, we have a desire for comprehension. We want to understand it all. We have a desire for control. We want to be in control of it all. And then I'll say this and I'm done. We have a desire for carnality. We have a desire for carnality. Notice verse 33. Here's what Jesus said. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Now look here. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Jesus rebukes Peter. Peter rebuked Jesus, and then Jesus said, I'll be doing the rebuking here. He rebuked Peter, and here's what he said. He said, you don't savor the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. You know what that word savor means? To savor it, savor it means to set your mind and affection on. It has the idea of, of enjoying the flavor of something. Something you like to taste. Something you like to partake of. Something that is flavorful to you. When I think of that, I think about, I like, I like pizza. That's, I love greasy, cheesy pizza. I love Krispy Kreme donuts. I like them when they're hot. I like it when the hot light's on. I want to just go behind the glass over to the conveyor belt and just, just open my mouth and just let them drop in. I like the ones they have that have the, 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 the cake batter cream filled on the inside of it. And you just take a bite and it just gooshes out everywhere. You don't have to twist my arm to make me eat a Krispy Kreme donut. You don't have to twist my arm to make me eat a slice of pizza. And why? Because I savor it. I love the flavor of it. But if you know me, you know how weird I am. I'm very picky about what I eat. I eat chicken pizza and I guess donuts and that's about it. Maybe. But listen, if you want me to eat some collard greens tonight, you're going to have to twist my arm. If you're going to try to give me, make me eat a bowl of pinto beans, listen, you're going to have to hold me down because I'm going to fight you every step of the way. We're going to have a fight, literally. I'll punch you right in the face. Ma'am, I'll do it. I will. I promise you, ma'am. I don't care. I'll punch you. I don't want... The only beans I eat are jelly beans. 
and I don't even eat every color of those. The only corn I like is candy corn, amen, and popcorn. You know why? Because, because my mama didn't do right when I was growing up. But other than that, I, I don't enjoy the flavor. I, I, I have a problem. You might like it. How many of y'all are normal and like all those things? See? I mean, we, ain't, we ain't on the same page. That's why I'm struggling here. If we go to eat those things, I'm going to struggle with that. And that's why some of you struggle with God's plans. You ain't on the same page as Him. You see, God has one flavor He likes. And it's His own glory. Everything God does is for His glory. In fact, Jesus, when He was on this earth, what He said in John 4, He said, my meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. You know what Jesus said? My, he, you know what He said? My meat, my favorite flavor is? He said, mm, doing the will of God. He said, that's my favorite flavor. He said, that's my favorite thing. That's my meat. That's what I love to eat is the will of God, the glory of God. But when your favorite flavor is carnality and flesh and pleasure and what you like, you and God, you're going to struggle and butt heads every time. You know what we need to do? We've got to get on the same page with God. We say, Lord, I don't like this trial. But I love your glory. Lord, I don't like 2020. I don't like the things. It's been, a, it's been a year of loss. I don't like loss. But I'll tell you what I do like. I love his glory. And you know why 2020 starts to taste a little bit better? It starts to taste just a little bit better when I start thinking about how God is using all these things for his glory. Because I do love his glory. Whatever you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. That desire is in every one of us. What fills you? What satisfies you? If it's not the glory of God, if it's your own glory, you're going to struggle. If it's God's glory, you'll be all right. I want us to stand all over the building. I want us to bow our head and I want us to close our eyes. And I want you to just examine your heart tonight. We struggle with God's plans. Maybe, and maybe somebody, maybe, maybe you've been like me. I know I've been, I've had a lot of moments this year struggling. And I've had to examine my life. And you know, I thought, I look at my life and say, you know what, I, you know why I'm struggling? It's because I, I feel like I need to understand it all. I feel like I got to be in control of it all. I'm struggling because Deep down, there's a desire for my own good or for my own glory instead of the glory of God. And I have to realize those things and I have to surrender those things and submit those things. And when you do that, it's wonderful because you realize you don't have to wrestle with God. You can rest in God. And what a wonderful, what a wonderful life that is when you quit wrestling with God and you start resting in God. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. I pray that you'd use it in the hearts and lives of your people tonight. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.